You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Straight. Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. to come out. Our starters did a great job starting the game out. First half was great, but we played a lot more like we're accustomed to playing. That, that's a good team, too. I mean, they look at their last two games, and they've been playing their best basketball right now, so you know, that's one of the teams that's going to finish in the top half of the league would be my guess, so to do that against them. Obviously, Castleton had, had quite a game. You know, I, we, we would have liked to have done a better job on him. He's a really good player. Obviously, I did think we did a, you know, we did a good job taking away their threes for the most part. They hit that late one, kind of on a kick down that we gave up. But you know, in the first half they didn't hit one. So if you're going to double, they do have shooters. They take decent amount of threes. We didn't want to give up a bunch of threes. That's a way to get upset. So we our game plan was not to double them when Charles was in there. We probably needed to double a little more when Charles wasn't in there. But you know. Other than our defense on Castleton, I thought our effort tonight was pretty good. Yeah, too, if I can. Uh, obviously, with the stretch you guys have coming up, um, this is an important first one to get out of the way. But uh, what do you think was key to having guys locked in from the start in this matchup when it would have been easy to look ahead? Um, and also, I mean, that's, I think, the number 10 defense coming in this game in the country. Uh, you guys almost put up 100. What was the key there? You know what? We weren't happy with our game at LSU. I think guys understood we got to play better. That wasn't who we were. And our point was two out of our last three games, we haven't played hard enough, well enough. It was our two lowest that game in Oklahoma game were our two lowest blue-collar totals. Made a big point emphasis on getting that back up. It was almost 90 tonight. And they only had 60, so I thought we played a lot harder. It just let's get back to being who we are, who we know ourselves to be. And that's that's us. I thought Jaden Bradley had a great start to the game. You know, I, offensively, he's getting downhill, making plays. You know, we, we shot it well. That always helps. But, you know, we out-rebounded him. I mean, I just think when we're locked in and our efforts there, we're a really good team. And guys, understand that nobody was happy with that game at LSU. We just that, that it was it's good to get a win when you don't play well, but we need to play well. So we came out with the mindset we to play well and this is a good team if we, you know if you don't play well they beat you so we, we did play well there you have coach Nate Oates this was never close it was never in doubt Alabama won this game walking out of the locker room and as you heard Nate Oates say that was against the number 10 defense in the nation, and Alabama hung 97 on them. And face it, I think if they really pressed it late, they could have hit the century mark. I'm glad Nate Oates didn't do that. He also played his bench late, which I just, I was, that I, I cheered when he did that, maybe more <laughs> with some of the unbelievable slams and threes that were made in that game. 97 of 69. All right, I, I have, uh, I've got a question for those of you listening to this program, Big Nuns 
Big Noon Sports. It's good when you can't pronounce the name of your own show. But uh, and I'll I'll get Lars and, and Christian Miller on this. I'm I'm asking the listeners. Does anybody listening right now know or remember the Rocket Eight? Josh, has you, have you ever heard of the Rocket Eight? Come on, everybody, everybody's going to get asked here, so lay your transparency right there on the middle of the table. Have you ever heard of the Rocket Eight? Honestly, from your Arkansas background, it makes me Arkansas side. Or are you talking Alabama? Because just Rocket Eight, no clues, no hints, no nothing. Have you ever heard of the Rocket Eight? And if so, do you know what they are? I'm going to today. You okay? Is that your way of saying no? You don't know. Uh, don't you know still want to admit? Hopefully, going to learn today. All right, um, Aiden. I think you're tied. I'm going to ask you: Have you ever heard of the Rocket Eight? By the way, if you know, I'll find some kind of um, some kind of prize. I can't. I can't um, name a single one of them, Matt. But I have heard of them simply because I've produced oh, Wimp Sanderson's show so much. Okay. And what did he say? Hey, that's that's what they, t- they when when they're talking about all time great basketball teams at Alabama. They always come up that fifty five yeah. to fifty six team consistently. I mean, you're going back even before CM Newton for that one. I don't know how many people know we had a basketball program before CM Newton. Well, I'll uh, I'll have to immediately contradict, particularly Lars. I did not cover the Rocket Eight. Okay, <laughs> but Aiden is. Aiden is uh, is spot on. Aiden, you know your history. The Rocket Eight, um, considered one of the greatest, if not the, Alabama basketball team in history. Um, I mean, I, Jerry Harper, he was just recently in an article. Uh, he led rebounding in the SEC for three straight years. And had a little guard named Jackie Cubison. Uh, those are the only two that immediately come to mind. But Alabama... Current is off to their best start <coughs> since the Rocket Eight, which I think is very, very cool. If for no other reason, we're talking about the Rocket Eight. But Lars, let's talk about Alabama. I guess you heard just a minute ago. I'm going to repeat this because I just find it fascinating. The number ten defense in the nation is Florida. Alabama put 97 on them. Now I know you're on assignment, and I don't know if you were if you were traveling at the time or not. Did you have a chance to see much of the game? I know you've read about it. I, I did. But this team, did. The, when this Alabama team will play. Is, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, when Alabama is on, they're unstoppable. I mean, uh, they can't can't be beat. And um, going back to the Rocket Eight, I actually have done a little research on the Rocket Eight. Uh, 1955-56 Alabama team that that um, was that the last team to go undefeated in the F- in the SEC play. And now, probably, I'm sure in Alabama history, it's the last team yeah. to start 11 and 0 in league play. Okay, and and yeah, uh, Jerry Harper. I mean, his his stats yeah, from that 55-56 team was just. Yeah. He averaged over 21 rebounds and 23 points a game. Yeah. 21 and 23. I mean, that's just crazy. Um, and and, uh, and and also, that was the team, right, Matt, that had uh, George Lynn 
he think the longest shot yes. in uh, the history of Foster Auditorium. Isn't that right? I think that circle's still there. Yeah. So that yeah. So the on, circle, on the on the, the floor. The circle is what? It's like uh, eighty-seven feet. It's like an eighty-seven footer. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I remember we used to play intramural games in there, and we'd stand over there and just kind of stare at it, and then go play. Did you ever try I to? Know, attempt I said, a shot Jackie. From there? No, they had the courts running sideways, and there was all kinds of activity, and that would have probably busted up. I, I I said Jackie Cubison, but I don't know if he was on that team. But Leon Marlaire, Billy Cruz. <laughs> <coughs> A lot of really, really talented players. But this may be the most talented and most deep team Alabama has ever had. Their bench is getting better. Have you noticed that, Lars? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, there's there's more guys deeper in the rotation that are making big-time contributions. And then, you know, they have the, the two superstars, the two guys who are – probably lottery picks and you know in the nba they talk always talk about how you need the the big three right you need three stars on a team to win a championship as are i would argue in college basketball most of the time you need a big two and alabama has that i mean alabama has everything you want in a team right now uh heading into both SEC tournament play, I know we're not there yet, and in March. And, and again, I, I think that wake-up call in Oklahoma was a big, big deal. And I think uh, psychologically it helped them because if you remember, Matt, after the game, a lot of the guys finally really opened up to the media True. and I'm sure to, to others uh, about you know their emotions that they are experiencing from the the, the shooting involving the, their teammate and, and the tragic loss of life. Um, you know that's a that's a lot to process when you're heck. It's a lot to process for guys who are old as you and me. But imagine being eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old. Well, and. This is how good Alabama is, and this is how good in Alabama Alabama is as far as Nate Oates is concerned. I've maintained, and I've heard this from really, really good coaches, winning on the road in a league, and particularly in a league as strong as the Southeastern Conference, is huge. You take it, you get back on your charter, and you thank the dear Lord for a blessing because that's, that's literally the way people felt about it. Alabama went... And beat LSU, Nate Oates wasn't happy. And scolded his team and worked them hard. Golly, did you see how they played last night. But when you're getting onto your team for winning on the road in the Southeastern Conference, does that in some way, Lars, tell you how good this team is and how good Nate Oates thinks they are? Yeah. I mean, I I think Nate Oates is – starting to feel like this is a not once in a lifetime team but a a, a once in a very long time team right <laughs> like the, the potential yeah. Yeah. is literally the potential is literally there to win a national championship 
And I've never said that about an Alabama team as long as I've lived in Alabama. And that goes back to like 2004. Um, this is a, it's a special group. And you can tell it's a special group, Matt, just by uh, not only how they play, but how they interact. And what I love is you can tell that they know that they're special. And they're not going to yeah. waste this opportunity. And you said something at the very top of the show that rings 100% true. When they are on, I am positive no one in college basketball can beat them. When they're on like they are last night, look out, Purdue, you're slammed. Hey, uh, when we get back, we will talk with Mike Rodak a little bit later on in the show. We will uh, be joined by Brian Passink, who was literally courtside last night. And, uh, Lars, did we? Uh, did you get in touch with Timmy? I have not. Uh, hopefully, uh, okay. we will have Tim Brando at the, uh, at the bottom of the next hour. Groovy. All right, you're listening to Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. The new year's in motion, but are you? Is pain keeping you from living the life you love? The Good Feet Store's arch supports are designed to improve performance and alleviate even... Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with only a small chance of a shower, the high 63. Saturday, much colder, periods of rain, the high 51. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 62 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Josh and Joe and Aiden, and also Mike Rodak joins us from AL.com. Mike, uh, how are you? I hope things are going well. And then just go ahead and follow up with your thoughts on what happened last night with Alabama basketball. Good, good. Just always catching up on some sleep. These 8 o'clock weeknight games are always a little bit tough in that regard, especially when you live in Birmingham. But it's, uh, it is what it is. And, yeah, it was another, another home win, which feels like, with the exception of the Mississippi State game a couple weeks ago, every time they come out and home, at home, I mean, they just play lights out. Um, and it's been pretty impressive what they did to Vanderbilt, what they did to LSU, now what they did to Florida. And it's, it's a team that seems like they listen to their coach. And obviously, he wasn't very happy with what happened at LSU, even though it was a 10-point win in a row. I think we could all tell that wasn't a very well-played game on Alabama's part. They hit some shots, but... They were out-rebounded, didn't. I mean, the blue-collar points, you know, Oates said were the second lowest in the season. And so he comes out, he says, you need to play harder. Uh, we need to play better. It's a good Florida team. And his team listened. And they came out right out of the gate. I think it was 10-2, 11-2 right away. And pretty much after that, it was just off to the races. Um, There's that one little blip in the second half where Florida got it down to 17, which, you know, <laughs> relatively was smaller but still a pretty big lead and that's when brendan miller just stepped in and pretty much shut it down mike uh we were just talking about 
the importance of the Oklahoma loss. And, and, and to me, when I'm you know looking at the big picture of this team, it almost feels like that game needed they needed to get that game out of their system. Does, does that make any sense to you? Yeah, oh yeah, it definitely does. And I think, you know, especially in college basketball, I think some people forget, you know, if they're college football fans primarily, like one loss in college football will doom you, one loss in college basketball will not. And a lot of teams, a lot of good teams that have won national championships have played games like Alabama did at Oklahoma. And, you know, I think it's, it's good from a standpoint of they learn that they can't do that and they haven't done that since for the most part. Um, but they, I think it also, it creates some doubt externally where, you know, people slide them down in the rankings or people say Alabama's not very good or not as good as they seem because they lost to Oklahoma. And I think that probably helps motivate them as well, uh, where maybe they see or hear or read things about, what happened to Alabama at Oklahoma, especially on social media, because I see it myself, and that can I think can have a motivating factor too, where they don't, uh, where they want to prove that that's wrong, uh, that what happened at Oklahoma is wrong. So that that can be a, a powerful tool, and um, you know, will that will the effect of that continue to kind of linger on here for another month? Because that's what they're going to need uh, for their sake, hopefully, but. Um, you know, it, it definitely, I think, is, is helpful for this team. And, you know, a team that was already kind of mature. Like, I don't know if this was a team that needed the motivation, but um, I think it's a little extra help for him. Mike, I just wanted to uh, shift gears to football real quick and get your thoughts on the recent hires of Tommy Rees and Kevin Steeles as the new offensive and defensive coordinators at the University of Alabama. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, if you ask me the second or third week of January, <laughs> if those were going to be the two guys, I... I would have thought you were crazy. I mean, it, it was definitely not the, the two names that anybody really had in mind at that point. Um, you know, I think Steele was sort of on the radar, just kind of as a, a fallback option. You know, some people would, would kind of put it out there. But uh, still to kind of get from point A to point B, where he's now the defensive coordinator of Alabama, is still kind of staggering. And, you know, it's still a lot of people are going to look at the Jeremy Pruitt situation and say, well, you know, once that gets cleared up, Alabama's going to have him whenever that is. And that's kind of the key part of it is whenever that is, because we don't know. I don't know if anybody outside of the NCAA truly knows when that's going to get resolved, how exactly it's going to get resolved. And the only caution I would have there for people saying, well, it's a, it's a bridge to Jeremy Pruitt and they're just going to have to wait it out. I don't know if Alabama's in a position in terms of Nick Saban's age at this point in his career where they can just, plan ahead two or three seasons for who they're going to hire a defensive coordinator. I think you kind of have to look at it as we're trying to win every single year, trying to put the best coaching staff on the field every single year. And I mean, Nick Saban 72 this season. And then you say Jeremy Pruitt maybe steps in in a year or two when Nick Saban 73, 74, like, I guess it's, it's possible, but I just don't know if he's thinking that far down the road. Um, and a lot of things can change. And even at that point, Jeremy Frew would be three, four years removed from coaching. Um, so, I don't know, there's a lot that goes into that. There's also, you know, on the offensive side with Reese, you know, I think a lot of people look at that as Alabama wants to go back to the ground and pound, the wad ball type of style offense. I'm not sure that's true either, especially you look at the interview with Ryan Grubb and that walk, that pad, the passing offense that Washington had was best in the, the country. So, 
just because he brought in Tommy Reese, I don't think necessarily means that they're going back to that sort of offense, and we'll kind of have to see how that works out as well. Yeah, I agree, and I was, you know, I was thinking that too. I was surprised we didn't hear Kevin Steele's name earlier on. I'm sure Alabama probably was um, considering him, but I'm just surprised no one in the media necessarily pointed him out. Um, and and I, I didn't even think about it myself, but I agree with you. I think they are uh, two good hires, and I, I'm in the uh, same position of believing. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's he's just uh, uh, holding you know Jeremy Pruitt's place right now, just because I, I don't think he would have wanted to come here if he was just going to be replaced in a year or so. Um, but you know, if they do get you know Pruitt on board at some point, great. If not, I think Kevin Steele is going to do a fine job. Um, how do you think um, Tommy Reese is going to develop these guys that they've got in this recruiting class? You, you see this this big offensive line that they've recruited. You know the playmakers. Um, you know they got two good, great running backs um, that are coming in. Um, how do you see Tommy Reese developing these guys and really utilizing their skill sets moving forward? Yeah, I think the running back and the offensive line part of it is is, is one part of it, but also the receivers. And I think you look at the biggest issue under Bill O'Brien the last two years, especially when Mechie and Williams were down, was the receiver position. And they didn't have the elite sort of playmakers that were able to just take over a game. Um, I don't know if Alabama's gone away from the philosophy that they want the very best receivers in college football and they want the guys that they've had before and they want to win games that way. Like, if you ask Nick Saban, I think he'd, he'd still very much say that they still want to play that sort of style of offense where it's about the quarterback, it's about the receiver. You can go out there and score 45, 50 points at will. And so for me, it's how does Tommy Reese get Ja'Cory Brooks to the next level? How does he get Jermaine Burton to the next level in his senior season? Uh, what does he get out of the freshmen that we saw last year? And Isaiah Bond and Kobe Prentice primarily. What does he get out of the, the freshmen coming in? Jalen Hale is a five-star prospect. Malik Benson coming in as a junior college transfer. To me, that's actually the most intriguing part of the whole hire, um, you know, because you don't have that history of Notre Dame producing those sort of receivers. Um, but how does Tommy Reese use those guys? How does he get them developed? How does Alabama get back to where they were two or three years ago at that position? Because I think Tommy Reese would do a great job of using Jason McClellan, using Roy Dell Williams, which we already saw, you know, late last season. I mean, maybe getting the offensive line back to where it was a few years ago. Um, but the passing game is still in twenty twenty three what's probably gonna win you a college football game. And that's still that's where I think he's gonna have to prove the most, you know, in his new job. And and how do you think the offense is going to look just Specifically, uh, how's it going to look different from this coming year from last year? Are we going to see more motion, more two tight end sets? I mean, have you been able to kind of drill down and and analyze what Tommy did at Notre Dame and, and perhaps what he will bring to Alabama? Well, I'm not sure that it's exactly going to correlate um, because at the end of the day, I think Nick Saban's still going to want him to run what's best for Alabama and what's best for Alabama's personnel. And to me, I'm not sure having two tight ends on the field is best using their personnel. Um, so, and I mean, Notre Dame did it with three tight ends sometimes. Like Alabama, their top three tight ends are not among their top ten offensive players. They're, they're skill position players. And that's just you know how they've recruited because they've recruited so heavily at wide receiver instead. So, you know, I think, yeah, C.J. Dippery would get on the field 
and could very well be a, a big part of the offense. But I could still see them running what they've run the last several years, whether it's been O'Brien or whether it's been Stark or Loxley or Dable. Like you're still, I think, going to use your your quarterback's skills, which we'll have to see which direction they go on that, and use the speed that you have on the field. Um, and try to make plays that way. So, you know, he might have done things a certain way at Notre Dame because that's what Notre Dame's personnel and their recruiting dictated. But I think it's going to be a different direction at Alabama. And just because he ran things a certain way there, I don't know if that makes him incapable of running things a different way at Alabama. Um, And I think he can certainly sit down in a film room and watch every single snap of Alabama last year and kind of learn what they did and then maybe say – here's what I would have done better, but within the same framework and kind of using the same players. So um, I don't know if it's going to be the Notre Dame offense is kind of the bottom line. I'm just curious, having made the trip that you made last night many, many times in my life, what time did you finally get back to Birmingham? 12.15, and then I was up at 5 o'clock when my son started calling me. (laughs) Well, son calls, daddy goes. But um, anyway, right. you do great work. We appreciate you joining us. You're, uh, you've become part of our little family here, and we appreciate it, Mike. Have a great day. Get, see if you can get a nap in here somewhere. You got it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Mike. Hey, Super Bowl is Sunday. I don't need to remind everybody uh, because if you're listening to the show, you know that. But there's already been one member of the media tossed, asked to leave, go home. That's coming up on Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Come join our crew. Visit DCH's Mardi Gras-themed nurse recruitment event on Thursday, February 16th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. at Harrison Gap. Back on Big Noon Sports. If you want to join us, you can hit our website, hit listen. Which is, to me, my limited knowledge is the same as an app, but you go to Big Noon Sports, www.bignoonsports.com. Our uh, Twitter site is Big Noon Sports, at Big Noon Sports. And um, then if you're listening at one of our affiliates, Aniston, Gadsden, Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, you can call and talk to us live on the air uh, at 205-342-9904. I don't know if you guys saw this article or not, but Michael Irvin was going to do some analyst work for the NFL Network. The NFL Network, after an incident in the lobby of the hotel there in Glendale, Arizona, has decided that um, they they don't want him to be a part of it. Um. He had a conversation, hotel lobby, with a woman. Uh, said it was no longer than 45 seconds. But whatever he said, well, I, I guess it was damaging enough for the NFL Network to ask him to leave their network for the Super Bowl coverage. But 
here's a, here's a problem when Michael Irvin makes a statement that says, I'd had a few drinks, I don't know what I said. You know, you then afterwards he said we have forty-five minute conversation. I came to Lottie, talked to somebody, talked to this girl, I don't know her. I talked to her for about forty-five seconds, we shook hands, then I left. That's all I know. But then later it says that the interaction occurred after he had had a few drinks. So I don't know if either one of you guys is really, really looking forward to Michael Irvin's coverage, but Lars, it's not going to happen. He's not going to be there. And as a matter Lars of fact, Lars is not going to be. He's not going to be there either. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, what What do you think? Uh, I'll say this. Uh, Michael Irvin has had a few run-ins. I don't know that he's ever had a run-in with a law. I, I know that uh, he has been known to party a little bit, but... I, this just slides on. I brought it up just as a way to start talking about the Super Bowl. Do you have any thoughts on that, or you just want to talk about Philadelphia and Kansas City? I'm all for Philadelphia and Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Matt, yeah, hopefully, you, hopefully you have me now. Um, yeah, I hear you. I think that I, I think the NFL Network did the right thing um, in that it, you, you have to pull them off the air until this thing is resolved you know if if michael urban's defense is i don't recall uh that's problematic and uh yeah and and so uh it, it just it, it i'm sure there's cameras in the if it, if it did take place in the hotel lobby i'm sure there's cameras uh there should be this should and there were other witnesses he's a very high profile person uh, the uh, whatever transpired in that very brief exchange uh, should come out relatively soon, one would think. If, if Michael Irvin is intent on proving that he did nothing wrong, it would be quite easy, I would assume, for his legal team to obtain uh, all the evidence they need, right? Just get the, get the video get the videotape from from the hotel and 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 review it and see if there's anything inappropriate and if the if the if the woman says that hey you know i i didn't go to his room and everything half everything that transpired transpired in the lobby then i can virtually guarantee you matt that it that it's on tape and so um you know it it is it is a troubling story, I think, and, and I, I think, like I said, I think the NFL Network absolutely did the right thing, simply because Michael Irvin's defense is I was drinking and I don't recall the nature of the conversation or the nature of the interaction. Other than that, it was forty-five seconds and we shook hands. So that that's it. My, still that's does my make you curious. Yeah, it, it makes it you curious on what it, can it, be it, said in forty-five seconds in public view. And uh, virtually get you fired from your Super Bowl gig. But anyway, uh, that aside, let's but, go to but, the Super but, but Bowl Matt, with Christian Matt, Miller. Just, Matt, yeah, Matt, sorry, I'm sorry. Just one quick thing: if you're as high profile as Michael Irvin, you, you just you have to be extra extra careful. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yes, and also, well, what was it? Well, there was, are people the that complaint? target these people. What was the complaint? I mean, was it was it something? Did she say it was like a physical um, interaction, or 
because I just read it now. I, I wasn't really aware of this, but I'm reading it, and he said it was like a 45 second, you know, interaction conversation, all in the lobby. And uh, I guess there is video footage of um, this encounter. Um, but he's just kind of confused, I guess. I mean, unless he, you know, made a remark or something that um, might have triggered the woman or made her feel uncomfortable. But um, I don't know how you're going to really hear that in a video. You know, I don't think those videos are going to catch the audio um, necessarily. But, uh, I mean, obviously it was enough. Um, like Lars uh, mentioned that they sent him home. Um, but that's it, it, just kind of an interesting situation. Uh, but I guess it's, you know, hard to really figure out the details without if you're not one of the two people in the conversation um so just yeah yeah definitely an interesting situation yeah all all we know is that the woman issued a complaint about his conduct during a hotel encounter in glendale arizona what was said how it was said uh we really we don't know but it was uh certainly in nfl network's eyes um, they they took a lot of caution with it. I mean, he's not going to be there. Um, well, he'll be there. He'll probably just be uh, won't be uh, present on NFL Network. I imagine now it'd be kind of awkward to be walking around being Michael Irvin. Anyway, deep enough dive into that. We are going to talk Super Bowl. Uh, I'll ask you on a personal level, do either one of you guys have special plans? Do you go to parties? Have you been to parties? Uh, Christian, have you ever been to one that, like, got out of hand? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I just go watch football and eat food. Um, I've never been, you know, a, a rowdy type of person. I don't. I personally don't like dealing with, uh, you know, intoxicated people or uh, rowdiness myself. So I, I kind of just... Enjoy the game, enjoy food, and just uh, keep things simple. So that's typically what you'll see out of me. I, I mean, I I don't do anything special. I just get some wings, get some some good dips, like some Rotel dip, uh, some layered dips, uh, and really just enjoy watching the game. Yeah, uh, years ago, I uh, SI uh, would always have a, a big party for the Super Bowl, and we'd all gather and. We would wait for that 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 one person right to to go over the edge, and <laughs> that had to then uh, walk into the office Monday morning and have to apologize for his or her behavior. Um, and yeah, you never want to be that guy, Matt, when you're at the uh, basically an office Super Bowl party, and that's what we did every year. But now I just enjoy uh, watching it with friends and family, and and then uh, trying to be in bed by about the third quarter or so. <laughs> I think you won't be in bed circle. by the third quarter. It will. Um, I think this game is going to be pretty close. But um, I don't think I've ever been to one that got out of control, maybe in the 70s. And then I'll claim Michael Irvin on you. I don't remember. Um, but I do remember the um, – the Cowboys-Steelers games, were they not fantastic? And uh, then I guess, Christian, all your life it's been pretty much the Patriots, hasn't it? Yeah, and I was going to tell you, too. I mean, you got to remember, <laughs> I mean, I've been playing for a while, so, I mean, it, during the course of playing and stuff, I mean, I feel like we watched Super Bowls different. I mean, we're kind of just we're watching it as a player and, and, and kind of just actually trying to, 
you know, watch the teams and see what they're doing. Um, my, I feel like my experience is going to be a lot different than a lot of other people's. You know, I, not <laughs> if that makes sense. I kind of watch it more from like a player's it makes perspective. Sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really doing it in like a celebratory fashion. I'm really just interested in watching the teams battle it out and seeing what type of game plan they're dialing up and, and how they're attacking each other. And uh, that that's kind of what I like looking forward to. And I'll be honest, it's kind of how I watch football in general. I don't really you know do it in like yeah. a celebratory kind of way. It's always I'm I'm so dialed Matt, in on X Matt. and O's. Matt, if you're hosting a yeah. Super Bowl party, what is your go-to dish that you're going to serve everyone? Um, whatever Karen picks. <laughs> Karen is my <laughs> wife, by the way. And I, I am assuming that she would. Uh, she's big into the uh, salsa and and chips, and I know you are, Lars. Last year, did you come to the Super Bowl with about eight pounds of nachos? And I'm not kidding on the weight. <laughs> No, it was huge. that was uh, I, I yeah I, I make what's called Super Bowl nachos and uh, I, I put about uh, seventy five dollars into those nachos and there's everything yes, you did. imaginable <laughs> in those and nachos. then you didn't take one uh, actually you did take some of it home because there was no way it was going to be eaten but anyway uh, we're going to roll the break but Christian Lars and I from our perspectives understand exactly what you're talking about how you watch football differently. You're looking at gaps. You're looking at schemes. You're looking for blitzes. You're looking at protection. It's the same way <coughs> Lars <coughs> would read a book or the same way I would watch television or listen to radio. Exactly. You get into the business. That's your business. You will view it differently. You will watch it differently, and you will read it differently. So... What you say makes absolute sense, and that's probably why you kind of stand over at the edge of the couch with your dip and chips and just intently watch the game. I imagine that's how you do it. Yeah, pretty, that's actually pretty accurate. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's just instilled in me. You know, I'm just so used to watching a certain way, almost like breaking down film, that uh, it, it doesn't ever leave you. You know, I think a lot of guys can attest to that. It, you always have that same kind of mindset that as if you're out there, you know, how you would do something if you were out there, how you would game plan something. So. Uh, just kind of part of you. All right. Uh, when we get back, Brock Purdy, I'm, I'm a little puzzled by his surgery. We'll talk about that and a lot of other stuff. You can also dial us up 205-342-9904. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Score! Road tripping, business travel, or bringing your car in for repairs. All great reasons to rent a Toyota at Tuscaloosa Toyota. You can Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with only a small chance of a shower, the high 63. Saturday, much colder, periods of rain, the high 51. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 64 degrees in Tuscaloosa. on Big Noon Sports. Hey, folks, I'm Matt. you got Lars. you got Christian. Just an interesting story. It's just 
we close out the NFL season with um, Super Bowl L V I I. That that's right from Roman Roman numerals. Um, Brock Purdy, whose kind of storybook season came to an abrupt halt with his injury in the playoffs, he has decided to have surgery uh, on February 22nd. I'd, I'd kind of just looked at that date and I went, good grief, if you want to get back and get playing, why didn't you have it January 1st or actually the day after or shortly after? I'm sure there are medical reasons. But I wanted to ask Christian, because I know you had an arm injury, um, this is an ulna collateral ligament. Are you familiar with that? I've actually kind of had a similar surgery. Not You're referring to my biceps tear in college, but in high school, I believe it or not, I actually yeah. had a similar uh, Tommy John surgery done on my right elbow. So, yeah, I am familiar. Uh, uh, stupid question. I'll ask anyway. Did it hurt, and how long did it take to recover? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, mine was a little different, though. Uh, I uh, was going to make a tackle, and my teammate was trying to make the tackle as well, and his helmet ended up driving through my elbow. And uh, not only did it uh, – I can't remember if it tore that ligament, um, but it, it, it did something with that ligament, and it also broke a piece of the bone off from my elbow. So I had to have a screw put in there and drilled that bone back in, and uh, I want to say they – they also did have to repair that ligament. But, yeah, it was uh, very painful. I was required to wear a full arm cast for a long time. Uh, ended up cutting it off uh, before I was uh, supposed to get it off. I, just, I couldn't handle the itching anymore, Matt. Couldn't do it. I just had I, me and my cousin. I, I, got, I grabbed my cousin one day, and I said, hey, we, we got to get this off. So <laughs> we got some knives really? out of my kitchen, and we cut the cast off. And I went ahead. I, I took my splint, and I wrapped it up. I said, all right, I'll, I'll, at least I'll keep it in a splint. Because I can't do this hard cast. But, um, yeah, it was a long uh, recovery. I missed uh, my entire freshman year uh, uh, season in high school because of it. Because it happened in training camp. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was not fun. So I, I can only imagine for a quarterback, um, it's definitely a lengthy recovery process, especially on your throwing arm. Um, and you're, you know, using that arm to throw the football. Granted, you know, I was a defender. So I was playing linebacker in high school. So, um, I feel like it was probably a little bit easier for me to kind of get back out on the field and get back to, you know, what I was used to. But as a quarterback, I can only imagine, you know, the time it's going to take to kind of get his rhythm back, his throwing power back, um, just his motion in general back. So um, he's got probably a long road to recovery ahead of him. But um, he seems like he's got his head on straight and he's a very motivated and dedicated guy. So I have no doubt he's going to be back better than ever. But I, I hate it for him because I know it's it's not easy. But if it makes him feel better, a lot of pitchers have to go through this injury. Um, it's very common in baseball. Uh, that's why it's called Tommy John surgery. That's where it originated from, from baseball injury, I believe. And uh, he, he should be fine. The pitchers end up making it back. But there are some cases where some guys yeah. um, lose a little bit of their velocity um, after you know going through Tommy John. So hopefully that's not the case with Brock Purdy, but I wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, Matt. Christian, uh, so why I, did your I doctor follow, say uh, when you came in cashless? <laughs> oh, he was he – was <laughs> He was uh, visibly upset. He he literally walked through the door and just shook his head. He just started shaking his head. He didn't even say anything. <laughs> but I I think he I don't think he was necessarily surprised because he kind of knew how I was just always eager. And uh, again, I didn't want to do that. But I remember I went to my brother's high school game, high school football game, and where he played it was real muggy. Their stadium was very muggy. It's a ton of mosquitoes. And it was, oh man, that night, it was a Friday night game. And I was just was sweating out there. So I got home and my, my cast just felt sweaty and 
and muggy and itchy and i just remember i was like I don't know if I was overthinking it or what. I was like, this just feels disgusting. I got to get this thing off me. I got I need to clean my skin and feel fresh. And so, yeah, my doctor was not happy with me, but fortunately ended up being okay. You know, I ended up being able to play just fine moving forward and uh, didn't affect me too bad, luckily. But I don't uh, recommend anybody out there doing that. You do not hear that from me. Do not cut your casts off. Follow all your doctor's orders. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's great. I, Matt. Matt, I, I follow a physician on Twitter known as Pro Football Doc, and he's a former NFL doctor, uh, Dr. David Chow. And he said the, the key is when they go in, if it's a reconstruction uh, for a baseball player, for a pitcher, you're talking 18 months. And But for uh, if it's just a repair, then a six-month timetable is possible for Purdy it's just going to depend on what they find once they get into that elbow. Perfect way to wrap up that conversation. Back in a flash. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about those sounds? Those are the sounds of a new Samsung laundry set with extra. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. Back on the February 9th edition, 2023. Big Noon Sports, as you just heard. And as you probably know, Alabama waylaid the Florida Gators 97-69. There was a point early in the second half that you kind of looked like Florida was going to try and start chinking away. They got it under 20, and then Alabama just put it back into overdrive and like went on an 8-0 run. And as I said at the very top, with the exception of it being 0-0 at the tip, um, this was it was so Alabama. Christian, I didn't get a chance to throw much your way on the basketball game. Sometimes you go, sometimes you don't. I know you probably watched it. But is it, with all the impressive outings Alabama has, was that the most against the number 10 defense in the nation? Yeah, I think uh, it definitely very much could have been. You know, I, I believe it or not, did go to this game. Um, my brother's in town, and um, we went. We had a, a nice group of people that went, and uh, it was a great time. But, you know, you know, one thing that really just stood out, and I, I still haven't figured out what was going on, but every single time uh, number 12 for Florida, Colin Castleton, I believe, uh, great player, by yeah. the way. I mean, I think he dropped 29, and he made it look effortlessly. Just big body guy, and he man, he's he's just so smooth. Uh, but every single time he touched the ball, it erupted in booze every single time, like from the beginning of the game to the end. And I was like, and I did get there, you know, several minutes late. But I'm like, did this guy do something or say something? I'm like, they they hated him, Matt. And I don't know what what he did or what he said. But every or any time he touched the ball, any time like something happened to him, if he had a shot block, they would cheer. Like this guy was like the arch nemesis of the arena, and I still haven't figured out why. So if you have an answer for me, I would love it. If someone who's listening has an answer, please fill me in because we we couldn't understand what he did wrong. Because I was like, I man, he seems like just a great competitive guy. He didn't seem like he was talking trash. <laughs> he was just out there playing his game. But I'm like, maybe you know, did he transfer from here? Did he did he go out in the media and say something? I don't know, but the the atmosphere was great. Student section, you know, uh, erupted with the the Florida State you know, Seminole chant. 
um, just to kind of rub it in at the end of the game. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love I love the atmosphere that, that uh, you know, the, the Coliseum has been having recently. And it's just it's phenomenal to see. And, and I just keep every time I watch them, I'm just even more and more impressed. And it's just so different, you know, going from when I was in school here, just we, we weren't this quality of a team. And now we're consistently beating teams by like 20 plus points. And, you know, that's a testament to Nate Oates and the job that he's doing. I'm a huge fan of his. But, man, Brandon Miller, again, just uh so electric can just do it all shoot the ball drive the ball uh you know make great passes i, I love watching them. but the backcourt was phenomenal again um yeah really impressive win uh, especially against a, a good defending team in florida christian um this uh, sticking with brandon miller he just makes it look so effortless and you know he, he scored 24 last night which is the uh his ninth career game going over 20 it just seems like when when he's feeling it the way he was last night, he, he can score every possession if he wanted to. I mean, he is as special a player at, at, at Alabama as I've seen since I've lived here, and that goes back, you know, uh, 15, 17 years. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and Lars, you know, just watch him in person. It, he's just one of those guys. He just has that it factor. You know, he's, he's a, a generational-type talent, and you watch him – um, you just alluded to the fact that when he's confident, he just plays so much better. And you, you can see it, you know, in his in his body language and his expressions. You know, he hits a three and, you know, he, he's not necessarily talking junk, but his face says it all. It's like basically he's just looking at the defender like you can't guard me like you, you're not on my level. And uh, I think it's that type of just kind of that humble swaggerness, you know, just that that confidence um, that, that really just puts him on another level. And um, uh, again, you know, he's consistently just scoring the ball in so many different ways um he's got uh, exceptional size um he's really just uh, the total package for a basketball player and from what i hear you know he's a great kid a mature guy um for for a young player and um i think if you have a chance to watch him right now um you definitely need to go because you're not going to be able to see him in college for much longer um this guy is going to be on the next level very soon and and without a doubt he's going to make a big difference on the next level i think this is one of those players that is going to be playing in the nba for a long time and having a very successful career guys one of the stats i heard the broadcast team offer last night that and i will say this twice in sec play in sec play alabama's average margin of victory is 22 Never heard anything like that. Now, I will offer you this. They beat Vanderbilt by 57, so that will uh, make your margin a little bit larger. But for the most part, that statistic, guys, tells you how dominating this team can be. And um, they were dominating, and um, I'm not sure about your question with Castleton. Brian Passink will be with us in 10 minutes. We'll ask him because... Believe it or not, he had, he had an even better view than you did, Christian, because he was side court. Do you have any idea, Lars? He put down 29 points. I mean, uh, he, he's, a, he's, a really, he's a really good player. But, yeah, I, I honestly don't know what he did to incur the wrath of, uh, of the student section. But, um, Christian, I did want to ask you just about the atmosphere at, at Coleman. Uh, how different is it now? Than when you were at Alabama uh, and and you would attend a, a game as a student. 
Oh, it's it's night and day's difference. You know, I, I wish there was a decibel meter to to gauge the difference from when I was there to what it is now. Um, you know, it's just electric out there. Um, the fans are in tune with it. You know, during the timeouts, um, a lot you know a lot more people are engaged in what they're putting on. Um, it just seems like the the whole morale um, of the the Coliseum is just so much higher. And obviously, that comes with winning. Um, but also, I think these people are really bought into the program. You know, they love Coach Oates and what he's doing. They've they've really embraced him, and uh, they love what they're seeing on the court. And it's 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 just fun. It's fun to watch. You know, the way they play is so is so fun. They're they're dominating oppo- dominating opponents. It almost probably reminds them of you know how football um, typically goes out there and competes. Um, so I think it's something that a lot of people are proud of right now. And so when they go and attend these games, like the attendance is always great. I remember even um, there was a game where the students weren't in town. They were on break, but it still was a pretty much sold out crowd. And that just um, is a testament to how much support and backing this team has. And, uh, you know, again, the, it's it's louder than it's ever been. Everybody is in in tune and, you know, they're standing up on their feet in the big moments and they're they're cheering as loud as they can. Um, and I think that that does so many great things. I think that encourages the players to play even better. I think that helps get even more recruits in. I know as a recruit, when I came on a visit here and seeing the atmosphere in Bryant Denny, when I when I came up, uh, came to the Texas A&M game, unfortunately, they didn't win the game. But since it was such a close game, I witnessed how loud Brian Denny can get. I witnessed uh, the atmosphere and, and just overall just how uh, impressive it is when everybody is in there cheering and it just makes you want to be a part of that. So I think there's so many benefits of having that type of atmosphere um, when you're playing um, in terms of your own team that you have now, but also for the recruits that that might potentially want to come here and play. And Matt, does this remind you of any any team from uh, the Wimp Wimp Sanderson era? Um, Not really. Um, Wimp's teams were always so solid defensively, and he had athleticism, but he also had the knack of getting guys that were key players. One of perfect examples, a guy named Keith Atkins, who uh, came out of Athens, Alabama. Nobody recruited him uh, at the single-A level. And Wimp ended up turning that guy into an NBA guy for 10 years. But he was he was the long and lengthy, I guess is what I'm getting to. Um, and then, you know, I think Latrell Sprewell would have fit on this basketball team really, really good. But um, I'm hesitant because I love the 76 team, C.M. Newton. And then I love Wimps 86, 87, I think it is. Um, but I'm about to tell you this is the best one I've ever seen. And as you guys kid me often, that's back since Naysmith. Naysmith hung the peach baskets. I was there. I had the ladder. But yeah, it's it's the best I've seen, and uh, I I think they can actually win every bit of it. I also wanted to ask you guys if you noticed, and I don't know how you wouldn't. Jason uh, Jatoba, was that him? The guy from Nigeria. He stuck out on the floor because he looked he's he was as big as Shaq. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 6'11", 300 pounds? Was that number 33? You couldn't miss him. Yep. Yo, man, he was massive. That's a big guy. Yeah, he looked, he he looked, looked like huge a... in person. Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine what he looked like on the TV copy, but in person, I mean, he made <laughs> – I would have looked like a midget next to him. Did you see little Jaden Quinterly trying to guard him? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> <I laughs> the matchup ended up that way. I did. Yeah, that's a big, a big that specimen. That guy – um, 
he was Shaq like he really was. Shaq's a couple of inches taller than him. I feel like he'd but make a great offensive he tackle because so, he's obviously athletic. Yeah. He's playing basketball and he can move around well. I, if, hey, hey, if I'm a if I'm Billy Napier, I'm I'm reaching out to that basketball team and I'm saying, hey, I uh, I might need to borrow this guy's left to right tackle just for a couple games, see what he can do. He was so much bigger than everybody on the floor. It just kind of looked freakish on television. You know, hey, that guy's getting. <laughs> here's what I. That guy's getting in everybody's way. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Um, we'll get the inside story here in just a minute, as uh, we will bring on color analyst Brian Passing as we continue on this edition of Big Noon Sports. This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt, and Christian. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Score! Hear ye, hear ye. Thanks for coming to the town square. First, I'd like to tell you about Steve. He's a plumber. I hear he does good work. Also, Tim. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with only a small chance of a shower, the high 63. Saturday, much colder, periods of rain, the high 51. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 66 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, Josh, Joe, Aiden, Matt, Christian, Lars, and now Brian Passing, who is a color analyst for the Crimson Tide Sports Network basketball version. Uh, We welcome him into the show, and I'll lead things off with this, Brian, and you have been courtside for all of Alabama's game, but based on the fact that Florida has the number 10 defense in the nation, that may have been the best game I have seen Alabama play this year. Would you come close to agreeing? It was up there, and Florida was playing really well on both ends of the floor, and I was pleasantly surprised with a 29-point lead going into halftime. I know this Alabama team is really good. Uh, That's not breaking news, Uh, but Florida was a team that that I thought uh, presented some problems and was dangerous, especially with going to Auburn this weekend and and to Knoxville next week looming. uh, This would be a game that that would be easy to overlook. And with the way the Gators were playing, especially on the defensive end, uh, I thought this could could be a potential um, letdown-type game. That was not the case, with the exception of the first Four or five minutes in the second half, I thought Alabama played exceptionally well and offensively to score 52 points in the first half against one of the best defenses in the country. I agree with you. Very impressive. Brian, I have to ask you, uh, what did you think of of Colin Castleton last night? I was impressed with him, but uh, even more so, could you please explain to me, and I hope you have an answer because I was at the game last night, why every time that he touched the basketball – it erupted in booze. Did he say something before the game? Did he do something? What is, what is the uh, the bad blood between him and the Alabama fans, if you know? Well, I don't think there's anything. I, I know that, and, and, and there may be more to it than this, but 
I know sometimes Crimson Chaos, they, they pick a player and uh, let them have it when they touch the ball. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know anything uh, other than that. Um, and it, it, it was, seemed like a good plan uh, until he responded. He's, I think, one of the best players in the country. And when you look at his efficiency numbers nationally, I think he's in the top ten. And uh, he's, I think, without a doubt, a first-team All-SEC guy. And he was hard to stop. I thought Alabama did a really good job on him, uh, which shows you how good a player he is because his numbers were great. Uh, nothing was easy, uh, but he's just a really good player. And, um, you know, for him to have a, a, a game like he did and Alabama to dominate, dominate the way they did uh, was was impressive for Alabama. This is a Florida team that has one of the best centers in the SEC in, in Castleton, maybe the best center in the SEC, uh, with shooters around them, a top 10 defense, and uh, Alabama, again, handled a pretty good team easily at home. So uh, this team is is looking great, 11-0, 10 of those coming by double digits. Uh, in uh, the, the one game where Alabama in conference um, had a single-digit game was Mississippi State. So um, to be 11-0 and for the first time since 1956, uh, that is, a, is impressive enough. But to see the margin of victory for Alabama against uh, a really, really good opponents. I mean, you know, the SEC is, is clearly one of the best conferences in college basketball this year now the schedule will get tougher especially these next two games but so far this team has been um <laughs> i mean it's it seems silly to say yeah they've been pretty good pretty good in conference play this might sound a little strange but was the loss at oklahoma a good thing in the big picture for alabama yes i think so and as Nick Saban has said, and it's true, don't waste a failure. This team has not, you know, they, they bounced back and responded in a way that I haven't seen an Alabama team respond from a from a bad loss, and that was beating Vanderbilt by 57 points. A Vanderbilt team who just beat Tennessee. Uh, so uh, that was an impressive response. This team uh, has been dialed in, locked in on the defensive end, one of the best defensive teams in the country. When they play with that edge on the defensive end and that mindset, um, just very difficult to be. And in a couple of games where they've shot it well, and you add in the fact that they're just dialed in and focused on the defensive end and the offensive end, for that matter, because um, it's important to be focused on both ends. Alabama's doing a much better job of taking care of the basketball with the way they shoot it, with the way they defend. Uh, it's the reason they're number three in the country. And they're being talked about as a team that will have a chance in March to make a run to a potential Final Four and has as good a chance as anybody to cut down the nets. Now, college basketball is different than college football. There's a handful of teams that um, are more than that that will have a chance to make a, a deep run in March. And Alabama is definitely one of those teams. Hopefully – they can continue to play well, uh, but it does not get any easier. And as tough a two-game stretch as Alabama will have all season long, they played one of the toughest schedules in the country. Uh, but to go to Auburn on Saturday and then have to come back and play no. Tennessee and Knoxville in back-to-back games is pretty difficult. 
want to ask you about Dom Welch. He has actually kind of been on my radar, uh, really, a um, couple of games in the league season. He's a tremendous player, but it's hard to get playing time on this basketball team. He's starting to get more, and is is the piece of puzzle that helps, particularly in tournament play, strength on the bench now becoming a true asset with Alabama? Um, Possibly. Um, you know, a lot of times you, you even see a shorter bench in tournament play. Now, maybe not in the SEC tournament where you have to go back to back to back to win a championship. If, assuming you get a double box, Alabama should get that. Uh, so depth is important. This team has suffered injuries. They suffered foul trouble. And they've been able to weather those storms because of their depth. Uh, Dom Welch is a really good player. Um, and I guess the the issue, which is in the category of a great problem to have, is uh, you've got a bunch of guys that probably deserve more minutes, but they only allow five guys on the court at once. And the minute, uh, the game's only 40 minutes. So, you know, you, you want to play certain guys, but then you look up, you're like, well, gosh, I mean, do you want to sit Brandon Miller more? Do you want to sit Noah Clowney more? Uh, Mark Sears, Javon Quinterly, who's starting to play well, Namari Burnett, who's, who's uh, regained his form since injury. So that right now is the most difficult thing, I think, for the coaching staff is to try to figure out rotations. Now, last night was a little bit of a different game because of the way Florida plays. They play four guards, and you could play a Dom Welch or Namari Burnett at a forward position. Uh, and, you know, last night wasn't a great game for Noah Gurley from a matchup standpoint. I think uh, in upcoming games, he'll play a much bigger role. So, the good thing about this team is they're a really unselfish group, and when guys aren't playing the minutes they want, they seem to have a pretty good attitude about it and accept it. They want to win first, and they worry about the individual stuff uh, second and down the line. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's an important thing for a team that has depth and is trying to win a championship. And as talented as they are, uh, and they are in, in – skilled and athletic and the length they have, uh, maybe their best asset is is their maturity and unselfishness. Uh, because if you don't have those things, it's hard to win a championship and that's what this team is trying to do. Brian, Alabama will take on Auburn coming up next at Neville Arena. It's going to be a difficult task. How do they prepare for that? And I'm curious, you know, football, whenever, you know, we're about to play, you know, on, a, on the road, you know, we use things like crowd noise at practice to really prepare um, for that environment, and that way, you know, we're not caught off guard, and, and we already have a sense of how it might feel to play in that type of situation. Is there anything that uh, a basketball team might do to prepare uh, playing on the road in basketball, or is it just the same old typical fashion that they might see in practice? Well, yeah, some coaches uh, will will pump in some crowd noise. Um, I've seen some do it, some not. Um, I think what you draw from are the games that Alabama has has already played on the road. And they've had a lot of success on the road. Other than Oklahoma, obviously, um, they played well on the road. Now, Houston was as loud a road environment as I've seen in years. Um, Mississippi State was really loud. Uh, and Alabama uh, went on the road last year uh, and, and played <laughs> tough road games. They've done it this year in the non-conference and in, the, in league play. Now, it will be a little different in Auburn with the rivalry. It'll be loud. It's a, a small but uh, very loud arena. Uh, so it's not going to be easy. And so, you know, the good thing is this team 
has been there. They've had success with it, and I think they'll draw from it. But they got to be ready to go, and, and it'll be an advantage for Auburn uh, to be at home. It'll be an advantage for Auburn to have an extra day to rest and prepare uh, because they played the Tuesday night game. Um, but that's the way, that's the nature of, of the schedule in the SEC. There have been Saturday games where Alabama's had the advantage, be, either being at home or adding in the fact that you get an extra day. So that's just the way it goes. Um, those are certainly things you can overcome, um, but it won't be easy because Auburn's good. Uh, they're really good at home, and they're a desperate team having dropped a couple. And really good teams don't typically lose three straight, especially when they're at home in a rivalry game. So you know you're going to get Auburn's best effort. And I expect Alabama to come out and play with toughness and uh, give a great effort as well. So should be a lot of fun, a uh, great rivalry game. And the Alabama-Auburn game has always been um, – you know, a great rivalry in basketball. Um, even when the teams aren't good, even when the product is not that good. Well, uh, it's still a great rivalry, but the product is really good. These are two teams uh, that Alabama, you know, is number three in the country. Auburn's unranked, but uh, they can play with anybody, and they've proven that. So it's going to be a fun game. Two high-level programs right now in the SEC going at it. And it's the reason college game day is there. I mean, you know, it's a great rivalry. You have the number three team in the country uh, coming into Auburn. So the national spotlight will be on this game, uh, which we're used to in football. um, And we're starting to get used to it in basketball, but it just makes it a lot more fun. Brian, this question uh, comes from uh, our mutual friend, Robbie Glenn, who I know uh, you're close with and he, he coached your daughter in softball. Um, how do you think this Alabama team would stack up against the 92 team uh, with uh, Spreewell and Robert Ory and uh, James Hollywood Robinson? And yourself. Well, it's a great question. Yes, yeah, you, you throw me in there. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I would, uh, I, no, no. That, no, listen, um, with that group, I would be uh, standing on the sideline clapping and encouraging. That would be my role uh, with that group. But it really it's a great question, and it's an interesting question because it, two different eras, um, and you know, this team, it, well, both teams were really talented. But back in the, the early 90s and back then, I mean, you know, Robert Ory in 92 and Latrell Sprewell and Hollywood Robinson, Robert and Latrell were fourth-year seniors. You know, Hollywood was in his third year. Um, you had guys that had had done it at the college level for a long time. And, you know, this Alabama team is led by first-year players. Now, Brandon Miller's special. Miller Clowney is is uh, not too far behind. You've, you've got Javon Quinterly, a veteran. Mark Sears, a veteran. So I would love to see it. Um, it's hard for me uh, to, to say that that 92 team uh, that, that I was around in um, – <laughs> and that that they would lose. I'm not. I don't want. I don't want anybody to tell my buddy Robert Ory that I said that uh, Brandon Miller would kick his butt. So I'm not going to say it. But you know, the great thing about this team is, you know, Alabama, 11 and 0 in SEC play. It hasn't happened since 1956. Um, just incredible the historical nature of what's going on. And you know, Alabama's numbers have been off the charts. They look like a championship team, but if we're going to start talking about this team 
um, like some of the great teams of all time, it's what you do from here on out. Um, you know, they've been great so far, and they put themselves in a position to win championships, but now you've got to go out and win them. And a big goal for this team and this program are regular season championships. And these next two games will go a long way in determining that. So uh, these will not be easy, but this is a, a special group, uh, and I think they'll be ready for the challenge. All right, Brian, great stuff as always. Hey, hey, good luck to uh, your daughter uh, playing. Uh, she's in the regionals tonight, the area finals, right? Area semifinal. Well, bad oh, news report on that. We got upset in the in the first uh, in in the opener of the area, so that was a tough way to go out. But she had a good uh, season. The Lady that. Spartans had a good season. So uh, yeah, we're we're wiping away the tears and uh, getting ready. She's a she's a junior, so got a senior year ahead. So now the focus is on that. So and you know the passing family can. Go all in on Alabama basketball from here on out. I was splitting time yeah. between uh, the Spartans and the Tide, so now we can we can focus in on uh, on on the Iron Bowl of basketball this Saturday. All right, uh, love watching her play. Love having you on. Thanks, Brian. All right, appreciate it, guys. When we get back, the one, the only Tim Brando. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Are you suffering from chronic joint pain like Heather? I have terrible arthritis and have had it for quite a while, and I've gone to all kinds of doctors trying to figure out what to do. And Appreciate everybody listening in today. This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Christian, and Matt. And uh, soon to be Tim Brando. Brando's traveling, though, right, Lars? I mean, it's hit or miss when you're getting through airports. Yeah, he, he, he's on the road, so uh, we're just going to effort to get him uh, as soon as we can. In the meantime, is uh, he's actually in. I'm sorry, he's in. Uh, he's in Columbus, Ohio, at a shoot around uh, with the Buckeyes, and so uh, yeah, we we might have some difficulty there. But he is he is on uh, in courtside in in, uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh and uh, based on what we're getting over our text, that may not happen. Um, as we get closer, let's let's talk what we finished up with Brian Passick about. Alabama-Auburn, at Auburn, they don't lose. In fact, the first time they lost there this year in league play was like the first time in 28 games. That's like two seasons. So um, they are very, very good at home. And then you've got to go to Tennessee, and Tennessee's good at home, but they're really, really good, best, second-best team in the league. Um, I know the records don't indicate that right now in the standings, but um, I looked at this schedule at the very beginning of the year, and I thought, well, as good as they are, they'll probably fall in one, if not two, of these games. 
Now, Lars, I think they can win both of them. Yeah, I think it's going to be a a great test for Alabama uh, going on the road to Auburn. And, um, you know, I I was thinking about this, and and Christian, this is a a complete hypothetical, but you, you have at least more knowledge about this answering this question than Matt or I. Do you think home field advantage in football is more uh, plays a bigger role than home court advantage in college basketball? That's a that's a great point, Good Lars. Question. Um, well, before I give an answer, I'll say you know in football, I feel like it is tough because when an offense plays on the road and the atmosphere is extremely loud, it's almost deafening. They have uh, such a difficult time, you know, communicating, right? And that's so important. It's vital for a quarterback to communicate with his guys, the center to communicate amongst the offensive line and make the right calls, to to point out the mic, make sure they're uh, getting the protection right, picking up the blitzers, picking up the cats. Um, it's So it's definitely difficult in football to go on the road and play defensively i don't i don't know if it affects us as much um you know but still offense uh, offensively speaking it's a very difficult task to go on the road and play in a hostile environment therefore it's much uh, much more beneficial to be at home you kind of can control the crowd noise on offense can hear what you're doing and on defense you have that uh that that support in that that you know that backing of the crowd when it's third down it's loud yeah, it's difficult for us to communicate, but we like that. You know, that encourages us to, you know, want to get a big stop. So I think it's, it's you know, huge in football. Uh, in terms of basketball, uh, I'm, I'm sure it is pretty difficult, too, to play, um, you know, when it's a, a loud environment and you're, the, the, the home team's going on a run. It kind of is almost demoralizing, uh, kind of uh, takes away from your motivation, I feel like. So... I don't know if I necessarily can answer that question because I've never really played basketball um, outside of, you know, pickup games back home. But I would say that, you know, football, I think it probably definitely can affect you more um, in terms of, you know, disrupting your offense. And, you know, we see what happens in football, right? You know, that, that they can't communicate. It leads to penalties. You're getting delay of games. That leads to frustration. And then you can go on a whole spiral. So I, if I had to give an answer, and obviously I'm, I'm biased here, I would say football, um, would, would you, you'd you have more of an advantage of having that home field advantage. But that's just my opinion and my take on it. Matt, how about you? What do you and think? it's a great take. Yeah. During football season, I think it's football. During basketball season, I think it's basketball. There are some arenas, though, and Auburn is like this, where the fans are so on top of you that it's intimidating. But I don't know that the effect on the game is probably probably shown more in football because you can really make a difference by messing up an offense. And uh, if you don't believe that, ask Alabama at Texas. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Dell Technologies President's Day event is here with deals to power all your passions. The savings start now on select sleek XPS laptops and more powered by... 
Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with only a small chance of a shower, the high 63. Saturday, much colder, periods of rain, the high 51. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 66 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports. I'm not sure we need Brando on. Is he fired up about what LSU is considering doing to Dale Brown Court? They're considering co-naming it Brown Gunter Court. And, man, he went on a rant. So, uh, if we get him on, y'all just kind of make, make room, clear path, make a hole. Christian, what you got going on? You know, I just want to give another uh, big thanks to our friends over at the Good Feet Store. Recently opened up in Midtown Village. Uh, man, they just have premier customer service, and they assist you in a first-class manner. You know, when you go in there, they help you right away. They get you sized up for these custom arch supports. And I'm telling you guys, um, as an athlete, these things are tremendous. They help alleviate and even eliminate you know, foot, knee, hip, and back pain um, in as little as 30 days. And I, I can attest to it. I wear them when I work out. I wear them when I walk around. I do a lot of walking, get a lot of steps in, and they've helped me tremendously. So if anybody's dealing with any type of pain, I guarantee you, if you go over there, let them uh, help you out. And it's try before you buy. You have nothing to lose. And they're even doing, um, uh, right now, they're giving away a free pair of premium shoes with a qualified purchase. That's a $140 value. So please go over to the Good Feet store if you get a chance. I promise you won't be disappointed. The customer service is tremendous. The product is excellent. And uh, they will not let you down. So, again, that's the Good Feet store. You can find them over in Midtown Village in Tuscaloosa. Um, just a big thanks to them. Uh, so we appreciate all of our sponsors and partnerships here on Big Noon Sports. And, hey, they, they pedal the bicycle. Let's just put it that way. It's, um, I don't know if um, I had heard that LSU was going to do this. And since Brando's not here, we'll let Lars rant. Um were you aware of this, and does it bother you nearly to the extent it does one Tim Brando? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not uh, sort of that uh, um, tied to anything remotely LSU, other than the fact that uh, Brian Kelly wanted Tommy Reese to be his offensive coordinator. That's uh, that's the extent of my interest in LSU. Uh, so, but how about you? Are, are you fired up about it? Uh, not, not like, uh, Brando is. Here's his post. How absurd in Louisiana, the governor wants to change the name of the LSU basketball court that was named Dale Brown court in a dedication ceremony about a year ago. This is wacky. Dale deserved the honor. And it finally was affirmed and now ugly politics is involved so um i understand why they're doing it i think he's probably correct and uh a, a very big political agenda is being pushed here um although uh want to be real careful here not to take away 40 dedicated years of basketball coaches sue gunter so um we'll see how that works out we usually don't go in the political direction very often
But that's where this is headed. Yeah, and then yeah, later on, um, in, in, <coughs> and, 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 I mean, you know, this uh, the last Alabama game I went to, I, I just randomly bumped into um, our, our, our good friend Sarah Patterson. Right, uh, she was the, the last. Uh, uh, when she was coaching gymnastics, and we know that she's won multiple national championships, and um, and she was sort of the last link to Bear Bryant because Bear Bryant hired her. And uh, I've gotten to be good friends with Sarah over the years, and I know she listens to the show. Hi, Sarah, and um, Matt. I know you know Sarah as well. Um, and I think Alabama did a great job of honoring her, right? With that, uh, what's it called? The, the Champions Pavilion. Um, not 100% sure of the name of it. But um, I, I think Sue Gunter needs to be honored in some capacity. Wouldn't you agree, Matt? Absolutely or, no question. <laughs> I just don't know if this is the way to do it because uh, I guess a lot of people uh, view it as uh, stepping on the legacy of Dale Brown. Um, but she, uh, let's d- just read you some of her accomplishments. Um, completed her career among the leaders in several NCAA coaching categories. Season coached 40. That's number one all time in women's basketball. You know, that's court nameable, perhaps. Games coached. She's number three, 1,016. Number of wins. She's number three. She's number three with 708. Good, great. Number of 20 win seasons. Um, she's number four at 22. I think that, Lars, your point is well taken. There's a way to honor her, honor them both, and not have a hyphen in it. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I agree. Um, you know, whenever uh, the, the name of a court is a bit of a mouthful, then you, you know it's not right. It, it sort of needs to be a little uh, it, it kind of like, almost not, simpl- not simplistic, but just... Uh, uh, somewhat lyrical if it's going to be this uh, long-winded uh, name that it takes forever to, to get out of your mouth and it makes it unwieldy for um, writers to, to uh, put into stories and also for broadcasters to say, hey, you're, you're, we're coming at you from you know such and such. So I, I, uh, I agree. I think there needs to be just a... Uh, a kind of a, a, a different path that they need to take to accomplish kind of the same goal. I mean, at, where, where, at what point does it end, right? Like, uh, it, 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 let's say, uh, you know, a, a basketball coach down the road ends up having great success at LSU. Are you going to throw a third name onto the court? What do they do with Bryant Denny? Because it was once just Denny. Well, one when, when well, one of us is was it gonna still, be, Is it going to be Brian Denny? How about Brian Denny, Sta- Brian Denny Saban Stadium? I think they named the field after him. Yeah. Uh, that's what they did at Nebraska. 
<laughs> hey, I got I got Nebraska in. It's uh, Memorial Stadium at, at uh, Tom or Tom Osborne Field at Memorial Stadium. There are ways to do this. But evidently, according to Tim Brando, this is not the way. Um, but he he is uh, Brando has implored um, Shaq to get involved. Nobody's a better example of what Dale Brown could recruit and coach than um, Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> Apologize for the technical difficulties we're having today. It's uh, it's, it's really my fault because I'm uh, on a on a writing assignment. But uh, we will do better tomorrow, and there's always tomorrow, right, Matt? According to is it Annie? Is that what you said? Tomorrow, tomorrow. Anyway, yeah. Uh, about time to yeah, check I'll, out. I'll, I'll love you. I'll love you tomorrow. Yes, that's it. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy.